Hello and welcome to Sunnydale Study Group, the podcast for returning Scoobies and Buffy newbies. I'm Omar. I'm Chris. And I'm Holland Farkas. Uh, and we're going episode by episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We will be talking about episode two of season two today, Some Assembly Required. So, without further ado, let's head into the library. We are just going along in season two. Totally. <laughs> you thought there wasn't going to be an episode next week? There was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It just keeps on coming. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, how are you guys doing? Lovely. I feel like that was a really fast intro. You think? I think so. Yeah. Um, I'm not complaining. I'm just, that was just a really efficient intro. It was efficient. Our yeah. intro or the intro to the episode? Uh, both, I yeah. think, are very, they utilize time very well. Mm-hmm. Really good dialogue. Yeah. And then we're going to waste a lot of time as we talk about how efficient we were. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that one thing that I do love about that intro in the episode is there's some ex- some perhaps the first finest Buffy Angel status quo interactions yet. God, I want to know all about that. But first, let's go ahead and hit some key points. <laughs> we're we talking about episode two today. Uh, that's some assembly required. Mm-hmm. Came out September twenty second, nineteen ninety seven. That was actually from memory. I hope oh, that was right. Cool. That's my yeah. sister's birthday. Really? And the birthday of Bilbo Baggins. Wow. <laughs> All right. Nineteen ninety seven specifically. Not that year. But <laughs> September the twenty second. A year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For each. By Shire record. <laughs> yeah. It's also the date that Dale was born. Really? It's not. Oh. <laughs> I was making a joke about how she's younger than me. There's no way she- <laughs> Everyone should be reminded that Dale is younger than me. Now, in case uh, you were too young to see this episode when it came out and then just never saw it again in your entire life, we're going to go ahead and summarize it for you in five easy, trite sentences that Chris is going to say right now. So, Chris, go ahead. <clears throat> Our cram session. Buffy patrolling is patrolling in the cemetery only to find that corpses are being dug up of recently deceased girls. Unnerved by the horrific activity of this, the Scooby gang is hot on the trail, discovers that it's all corpses of people who are recently deceased. You said that. <laughs> You're wasting your sentence. too. No. <laughs> Crap. All right, I wasted a sentence. That's not one of them. Uh... It counts. Ah. So, what it turns out is that there's a former football star that Cordelia used to date who died in a rock climbing dated, accident. I don't think. That's no. okay. Keep going. Okay. Geez. So, okay. I, I just want to see what Freebie sentence. Freebie <laughs> sentence. Correct, but I want to see what this goes. So, what happens is it turns out is that that guy who's dead was reanimated by his science genius brother, who secretly for the science fair has been reanimating dead tissue, making him a living zombie, who unfortunately is super sad that he's all alone in his zombie basement and he wants a lover. So, the brother, this, this is all one sentence still. So his brother is assembling these girls' parts, and they just need one final piece, and that's a head. And they're thinking about getting it to be Cordelia's. So at the final game, uh, at the football game, in the end of the episode, Giles and Miss Calendar on a date. Everybody trying to figure out what these guys' next moves are. They kidnap Cordelia, and they try to behead her to make her part of this zombie girl. Buffy jumps in, saves the day. Jump kicks a guy in the face. Everybody goes home happy. Except for the guy who was trying to make the zombie girl. It, you, uh, like, you're so... 
casual about your first few sentences. <laughs> and then the last one is like, you doing this five sentence summary is like me writing essays in college. <laughs> like over the span of five nights for the first four nights. I was just like, yeah, whatever. I'll do it. Transformers and semiotics. I got it. I got it. And then on the last day, it's like, I should probably read. I should probably go to class. <laughs> That's how I am when you have to do like the... Uh essay assignments like in the test like in the classroom and they're like all right you have this much time to write an essay and i like panic and i'm just like okay sentences and just like reiterating the same thing and then it's like the end and i'm like oh no i have to answer the question but i like can't go back so it's just like they're like don't bring up anything new in the conclusion and the entire conclusion is just like all of these new points that i was like oh i should have brought this up you weren't allowed to bring up anything new in the conclusion that's the rule of conclusions it's like don't bring up anything new just sum up like the three main points you discuss you're just about to synthesize a whole new the hegelian model is a, is a thesis and antithesis and then a synthesis and your conclusion should be a synthesis and it should seemingly be something almost new because you put together all your previous parts like you put together body parts. <laughs> oh, I don't feel good about this one, guys. No. <laughs> Should I keep home. going? Should take I keep home. going? You have to. Like in the episode where they used girls' body parts to make the perfect date. I actually. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know that's where that was going. <laughs> I actually have something that I I thought of when I was watching this episode. A point that I wanted to bring up. I'm going to be like a crazy feminist here, but uh, they have the scene where they they like literally go into his locker and it shows that he's like cut out all of these magazine images mm-hmm. to make like yeah. the perfect girl. Yeah. And I feel like that's very much a thing that you'll even like see in the news and it's like, this is what the perfect man looks like. This is what the perfect woman looks like. And it's this weird like Frankenstein thing because they've taken like, like men voted and like these are the ideal body parts. And it's these teenage boys literally like, objectifying women to the point where they're like physically taking their body parts like oh her legs are great or like oh we need a really pretty head and just like physically like taking dead bodies or killing people to make this ideal woman and if you think it's really i like i don't know this is what joss was going for but i feel like it can be interpreted that these guys are literally like objectifying women so much that they have created this weird like franken like and it's showing you how messed up it was so yeah oh yeah let's hop in let's just get into that i wanted to start with the giles intro but we'll get to i think we've said it it doesn't really add giles will be you know a refreshing boost of energy later not unlike a sweet nescafe gold blend coffee did you mention coffee (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but, okay, so Mary Shelley, uh, this is obviously a Frankenstein episode. Yeah. This is very... This is the Frankenstein episode. Right. Um, I always mispronounce it, because it's not pronounced Frankenstein. Frankenstein. There it is. Really? Yeah. Wow. And we say it badly, because racism. I wish, like, racism. someone told me that. Like, ever. We just did. <laughs> I know, but like... It's 20- actually from Young Frankenstein. Yeah. It's- <laughs> oh my god, that's exactly what that's from. <laughs> but no, but that is a pronunciation, uh, so right? Dumb. Yeah, he's like, it's pronounced Igor. <laughs> I was just watching that movie a few months ago. I love that movie. Oh, anyway. and Eric is like, is like Igor. Mm-hmm. Ah. Is that Igor? The- is it not Igor? It's Eeyore. It's actually pronounced Eeyore. Yeah, it's Eeyore. <laughs> Eeyore. Oh, don't bother. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this is a Frankenstein. 
Oh, God. Uh, this is a westernized pronunciation of Frankenstein. We can say episode. Frankenstein. Okay. For now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to mess it up. I'm so sorry. But this is a Frankenstein episode. And the original idea of... I haven't read Mary Shelley's Frankenstein in a long time, but what I remember it to being... It was like the fear of like science as an industry. Mm-hmm. It's kind of how I read into it. And it was like these like 19th century fears that almost everyone had, where it was like test tubes are going to lead to like weird humans. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that idea of the unknown, but within the realm of the controlled, if that makes well, sense. Also, was it, okay. was it the Industrial Revolution? Was it kind of... I, I want to say yes, time. but I might be wrong. Like, was it really the beginning of that? I know I'm really bad with time periods, but was it the beginning of that, like, um, machines are kind of taking over? Type of deal. I mean, that was the Victorian era thing, right? That was the transition from uh, a work base that had no rights to then robots having no rights, which led to the discussion of like, what's the difference between humans and robots when it comes to like making clothes? Someone will mm-hmm. call us out if this is all incorrect. <laughs> well, I believe it was a guy named like Lord Byron or something. He had a bear. Oh, yeah. Lord Byron. He had Lord a bear. Byron. Yeah, and uh, they and he it was like raining one night, and he like was like, we're all going to split up and come up with ghost stories, and the person who gets mm-hmm. the scariest one wins. And Mary won, and right? Won, yeah. 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 And then Sophie, she was nineteen. I thought she was fifteen. Wow. Oh, was she fifteen? I thought she was like fifteen. Yeah. And then nineteen's a song by T and Sarah. And then, uh, then That's Sophie good. Turner is gonna play her in the movie. Whoa! Mary I didn't know Shelley. that. In uh, yeah. Age well, of Apocalypse? They, they announced. <laughs> yeah, she's like teenage Jean Grey, who's also Mary, Mary Shelley. Shelley. Um, That's cool. Like the eighties being resourceful, but it's in your like writing. it's like mm-hmm. steampunk eighties. It's weird. I don't know what they're going for, but I'm excited. I like it. They like saw Suicide Squad and they were like, we need to one up this. We saw the one image from Suicide Squad and we're like, more can't be than that. Frankenstein <laughs> <laughs> um, so episode. Yeah. So the, the fear at the time was like, what happens when we're taking the sublime of this, these paranormal elements, right? This like supernatural, mm-hmm. the, the premise of it being a ghost story, you know, competition. Right. And give it to a bunch of people who base their entire ideology on control, confinement, and understanding. Um, and I'm not, not to say anything bad about 19th century scientists and the scientific community. I think they did a lot of great stuff. Uh, clouds were named. <laughs> That's something that happened. That was a 19-year-old. But anyhow, translating that now over to our culture, what are... Like, what is the Frankenstein for us? What's the Frankenstein monster, you know? Like, not just the... Because, like, the Frankenstein monster is, like, one thing, but what's the Frankenstein? Like, and I I think that this episode hits on it really interestingly because it's about feelings and emotions and coming into your own sort of sexuality Mm -hmm. and the idea of that being a legacy, creating, like, a family and, you know, finding a partner, a mate, which is all present in the the original novel. Mm Mm-hmm. But for us, it's less about science and more to do with, I think, like, controlling other people and the idea of rights and the idea that other people might have, like, rights outside of us. Mm-hmm. If um, I, This is not a very funny session. I'm sorry. It's not a very funny episode. It's not. It's yeah. when you actually think about it. It's, of the entire series, it is the one that makes my skin crawl the most because I feel like it's, it's, it's one of the episodes where the, the villains are young boys and they're doing something legend just horribly epic scale evil ghoulish ghoulish yeah literally ghoulish and you don't sometimes you run into that in buffy but i don't think it's how how much joy and sickness there is in the eric character yeah there's no other character in all of buffy uh that i think has that level of just sort of just maniacal sickness to him. It's, it doesn't 
seem it's weird because it's hard for me because it doesn't seem maniacal to me because every time that willow is just kind of like oh like be careful on him like blah 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 like like this is what happened with his brother like no not chris oh not chris eric oh the weird photo guy yeah okay he's igor he's sorry igor yes okay Yes, that I agree character. with that then, yeah. Because he's the one who ultimately, in the, in the end of the episode, he's the one who kidnaps Court. Yes, but also, I don't like how they, like, demonize the, like, photographer, like, yearbook nerd. And I was like, oh, that was me was in high you? school. Yeah. The, well, that was me in You were that creep school. digging up no, dead girls? No, I mean, I went around the school <laughs> and took pictures. Get a TV MA because I was a photo nut and I just took pictures all the time. But I was like, and like was in the dark room right. for a large amount of both my high school and college careers. Um, so I was like, that's weird. Photography is anyway. interesting. I guess if we're pulling it into. Uh, I just like, feel like I that's feel like the only time they really bring up. like Only psychopaths are photographers. It's, it's true. <laughs> I mean, no, it's not true. It's and not true. we're all psychopaths now because now everyone's a photographer. Whoa, that was like the the Black Mirror episode you just wrote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. If we're applying that idea to with this like general like Mary Shelley framework from the original novel, the idea that at the time they had the ability to manipulate organic matter, mm-hmm. right? Now we have the ability to manipulate representation and people's bodies and how we can contort them and make them look with through photography, which is a pretty early, it's a pretty fresh, it's a pretty baby art form, pretty baby technology. Oh, interesting. It was only like a hundred or so years ago that we were I like, don't know. I, we do that through photography and like, yes, there's ways to do it in camera, but I think it's more like, it's more post. like a Photoshop and it's more like a, like a technological advancement thing. And I've actually been talking about this a lot because I've been working in post and it's the fact that like... So many, I was actually just reading an article about this, but so many just kind of like movies even and like TV shows in general um, rely so heavily on the post-production process um, that they will like shoot things really quickly and try and get something made very kind of like, uh, not necessarily cheaply, but kind of like spend as least time in production as possible Mm -hmm. um, and try and do everything in post, which can obviously add up because visual effects are expensive, but it's less like if you think about it you're not you're paying talent less because you only have them in for the small amount of time and then you go in and do all these manipulations in post because we can because of the advancements in technology um which is changing the film industry in a weird way yeah that was kind of a Mm -hmm. tangent but no i mean that's it's weird that we can construct someone in like that's a weird idea that's pretty new yeah Mm -hmm. like if you went back to the 1950s right and you were like you show. Oh, I don't know how to describe. I, the, the the trail I was gonna go down was. Do you guys remember that movie Simone? I do remember the movie Simone, starring Al Pacino. Al Pacino. And you, I was gonna say if you showed them the movie Simone and you were like, do you get this plot? They would probably have so many more questions. Mm-hmm. Like, why is Al Pacino so old now? <laughs> and they haven't even seen his his new stuff. No. That would just that Simone came out like ten years ago. Yeah. Oof. But anyhow. Anywho, episode. <laughs> this, but it's like bad idea, yeah. people doing bad things. We, we have the ability to. This is the metaphor we're playing. This is the monster of the week we have to play with. Mm-hmm. Where it's these guys have the ability to create someone new by chopping up other parts, yeah, they, whether it's photography mm-hmm. or real. Yeah, I mean, they're literally trying to create the perfect 
girl because yeah. the whole image of this guy was like he was like the quarterback like star football player like because he's supposed to be the perfect guy yeah but yeah he's ugly like, as balls he, he's not attractive at all it's not his fault this he is got, the one time i agree died, with you right? no but <laughs> he didn't even look like he would have been attractive like alive mm-hmm. like you don't suddenly get like well okay i guess you get ugly when you're dead but you don't like suddenly get like that ugly i'm sure um, ophelia was went gracefully <laughs> Um, this is the, I'm, I'm the villain of this session i'm just gonna say <laughs> but anyway. it <laughs> but anyway no. and even like Cord- cordelia talks about it because they didn't date because cordelia wanted to date him and was like obsessed with him and he wouldn't give her the time of day okay and if he's not giving cordelia the time of day like obviously this guy is like he was royalty apparently mm-hmm. um and even when you go in you go uh, when Buffy goes to Chris's house and sees the mother who literally just sits there and watches these old videos of her older son because he was so idolized, like, even within the family. Um, so, basically, his brother's like, I have to create someone that is worth this idol that is, like, my brother. And so mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. why they're going in and just bringing all these bits and pieces of random teenage girls to create the perfect woman and here's is... what's really freaky mm-hmm. to me about this whole concept i love that we can just talk about the concept it's not even thing where we have to go like in different like story beats because it's such a big idea like it's yeah. an idea that was written about you know decently long ago and it's still relevant um but this concept of like the perfection and like the human body and that they, at one point they say like he would have been 19 yeah and the perfect girl for in their eyes is like a high schooler Mm-hmm. Which like, I to mean, me as an adult male is like creep flag goes I think at the time when I was watching it I was like well yeah it's only like it's two age. years different though 19 is like it's like just out of high school I feel like it's close enough that it's not that weird and also it's not like he has access to but like weird science at least and that's still a really creepy concept mm-hmm. I think it still yeah. makes my skin crawl a little bit yeah but like weird science oh, she it was is kind of like weird like a, science she was like a woman right yeah. it wasn't like we made a 17 year old girl that's, Which would have felt yeah. like a, a villain from Taken. Right. <laughs> I think is that he, the Daryl character, is always going to be a high schooler. Because That's, he, died, I see what you're he died at age, I think, 17 he's, he's like a vampire. It's like... Yeah. yeah. So what he wants is he wants a high school girlfriend that he can live in that bubble of his perfect little the heroic life. The high school, yeah. Where and you so have achievements, K, yeah. K, mm-hmm. yeah, KPIs, as we call them in the business world. Right. And so it's like the Chris character you can kind of sympathize with, because, and I think that they do a good job of us mostly sympathizing with him because he's so uncomfortable with it. But yeah, it's like the Eric character. What I wonder about him is it's like, What's why? Yeah. Why do you want to do this so much? I besides some control, kind of, right? I think it's, I think it's like, this is, kid, this is a grim uh Example. This is a grim reality, mm-hmm. but it's a thrill killing. It's like there were these killings in New Hampshire like a few years ago where it was just these sick kids who just went into someone's home and just killed people. Because it's like, there's, and that happens a lot, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Because it yeah. it's like there are some, there is, it's like, I think that that character, as well as a little bit of the characters in the I, Robot, You, Jane episode, I'm trying to think if there's any other episodes, uh, of Buffy. right? Those kids? Yeah, yeah. The Jack, yeah, the jacked in guys. Whereas it's like, there's a certain subset of American youth, and I'm sure global youth, but and it all kind of at least reached a very public um, 
reckoning with the Columbine shootings. What year was Columbine? Columbine was a year after this. Okay. So this was already starting to kind of gleam oh, the idea. What, Earshot that, got like, moved around. Yeah, Earshot wasn't aired. Right. We're not going to say any more about that. Okay. But. Yeah. We'll definitely get to that months from now. Yeah. But that's that's what I take from this episode. There's the idea. So I'm gonna I wanna I wanna I wanna meet heads with you on this Holland because you and I are both directors. Sure. And <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> that you were like Shia LaBeouf at the end of Transformers, where he's like, "You're a soldier now," and that was the look you had, where it's like, "Yeah, I got to get the cube to the to Optimus." <laughs> sure. It's like like Neo, you're the one. Uh, I guess <laughs> <laughs> you were a reluctant, <laughs> but I want to get my power converters. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she will. <laughs> um, but uh. Like there's some, there's I feel like there's you have a, a a bunch of different directors and one thing I've noticed especially in film school uh, and working with with directors is that some of them are in it for the control of it and the control of imagery yeah and the idea that imagery is God yeah um, well there's the there's the people you deal with in film school I'm gonna set this mug down very quietly that was gingerly it was mm-hmm. very gingerly mm-hmm. um uh it's my mug I posted it to anyway um. <laughs> On my Instagram. I feel like I should plug my Instagram. You should. Just go back a and week And you can just roll a, a day. We're recording this the day before. Mm-hmm. We're recording this the day before, so it'll probably be the last thing I posted on Instagram. Let's be real. I'm not going to be in the mood to take a selfie tomorrow. We'll you should take a picture of Chris all of and this me. out. Anyhow. Um, so basically, well, one of the things that, uh, one of the reasons why I, I don't know if I want to be a director is because you get very disheartened when you go to film school and you are around these kids who literally like want to get into film want to direct because that is the most powerful position and you do have to deal with a lot of like assholes that are just in it to like have control of everything and are not in filmmaking for the collaborative process or for the art of it or maybe they are in it for the art of it in their own mind because they're like this is like exactly what I want to make and I'm going to make it this way and it's all me and I don't need anyone else but I guess I have to get this person to hold a camera um and there are a lot of people like that. And I think that is that is a mindset of a lot of directors. Um, so do you think Eric was in the film club? I mean, he could have been. But also, like, no, it's weird because... it's hard. But his personality, like, <laughs> he didn't have one of those, like, asshole auteur personalities. He just kind of seemed like a goofy kid who took pictures. But then he also was, like, trying to murder this girl. Mm-hmm. So it was very weird because he's, he's non-threatening but threatening at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was almost like... It was almost portrayed as this like childish thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. he also looked a lot younger than everyone too. Yeah, and he had that yeah. creepy little like what do you even call that? That kind of little like under under patch. Oh, the, it's like a soul patch. Soul patch but is not, like is like so a, instead of a goatee, it's more like a kid kitty kid tee. It's like a yeah, it's, it's like, like a lamb, a kitten, a little kitten brush. Mm-hmm. He had a kitten brush. <laughs> I, felt, little... I feel. I, I hope I that that's. Like... I, I don't want to say that again because I feel like it's a thing, and I don't. I don't think so. That sounds so bad. All right, let's just say he had a little um, puberty dab. Um, like the puberty fairy, like came in at night I'm to like make him man, and then was just like punched him in the, the chin. Another thing um, that I noticed, I feel like uh, this is very much a metaphor for kind of like peaking in high school. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Um, like yeah. the fact that he died in his senior year, uh, not. You know what? I'm just not going to say the word. Um, going back to Daryl, the fact that he died in his senior year um, kind of perpetually keeps him in high school. And the fact that his mom is sitting there watching these tapes and 
the way that everyone taught like he's literally like these kids are going to go on to do other things um unless they die because they go to sunnydale um mm-hmm. right there's always a chance of... sure that's a very small graduating class mm-hmm. uh but yeah it's it's a metaphor for not like those kids from your hometown that never left yeah and got married and had kids right after graduating and then you find out that something not the best happened to them yeah i don't mm-hmm. know i have a lot of friends who are flourishing yeah, me too. But you know, <laughs> there's some... no, but there's something like okay. So this is almost like a mirror to which, which yeah. I consider okay, it the is second episode of season one. Yeah, and yeah. season one is a two part. Two parter. Yeah. Um. So which is the second episode, and that is exactly someone who couldn't move past high school mm. and wanted to yeah. like stay in it. It is like which, and she's a cheerleader and yeah. she's a football player. And... and what's so interesting to me about that and like having being able to return to that story and that sort of character. And, and creating that as sort of an antagonistic force, mm-hmm. is that Buffy wants to do that, but not in a temporal way, mm-hmm. more in like a tonal way, where she wants to get that to begin with. Mm-hmm. Uh, she never gets to have a just a normal high school, worry about dances, be on the cheerleading squad, maybe do some football, you know, like mm-hmm. have the perfect date, show off in front of everybody. Her life is complicated. Yeah. And it's weird and it's tough, even from the get-go of her parents being, you know, um, not together and her having to deal with that. And some summer she goes and hangs out with her dad. Mm-hmm. It's She doesn't get to live this all-American advertised Gap commercial Levi Jeans dream. No. And... A lot of these villains are trying to force that. And what I kind of like is that we're starting to see, like, that's just not really a thing. That's not really a thing. Like, it's Buffy's like happiness that... doesn't really come yeah. from, like, chasing after that, you know? Mm-hmm. In fact, by this episode, she's not, it's not even a thing where it's like, but you'd also, it's not even like a parallel, right? This isn't like a foil. Like, in which I feel like there was a foil with the cheerleading thing. Mm-hmm. In this one, it's just like, by this time, we've all agreed that it's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. And not kind of, sorry, that was very judgmental. But I'm projecting for my own self because I'd love to right. go back to high school. But it's unhealthy. Yeah. Maybe it's kind of the idea, too, of in high school, and perhaps this is always a thing when you're young, you're surrounded by so much media that's advertising perfection and creating the ideas in your head of perfection and the idea of what is good and what is an enjoyable, adventurous life, and that so many people are so constantly like watching movies or looking at magazines or thinking about things where they're swimming in it and thinking that that's real. And it's kind of like in these episodes of Buffy that kind of deconstruct that idea, either like Witch or like this, where it's like in Witch, it's like, oh, the the famous cheerleader. In this, it's the famous football player and the idea of like cutting girls out of magazines mm-hmm. and making a perfect body. It's like that that stuff actually not only is... That it's dangerous to chase that. Yeah. That it's ultimately kind of like in a lot of these old science stories that uh like the frankenstein type thing it's like when you yeah when you when you seek something that's unnatural too much you awaken something dark and it backfires what's funny is like in frankenstein it's the unnatural is trying to create life where there is none Mm -hmm. kind of changing that balance but having the ability to Mm -hmm. whereas this one the unnatural thing is just like Really, it comes down to crazy, like, messed up expectations that it takes, like, I feel like it took me years to, like, get out of my head. Mm-hmm. Where, like, this episode is totally something that, like, is, like, it's just, like, guys putting together, like, the perfect body. It's, like, really ghoulish, but it's pretty common. Like, the yeah. way that guys, like, if I could have Beyonce's legs, like, Alison Hannigan's hair. <laughs> 
I guess that was just mine. Yeah. No. Beyonce with Allison Hannigan's hair. Those those are the two components. Crazy in love. Beyonce's legs walking around (laughs) with Allison Hannigan's hair on top of it. Yeah. Uh, But, like, I feel like those conversations happen so often. Like, you were saying Holland. Yeah. I mean, that was the first thing that I brought up because that was the first thing I noticed because... Obviously, it's something that I've had to deal with and, like, still deal with and will probably always have to deal with, and it's really fucked up, and I feel like this episode really lays it out and shows how messed up it is. Um, Mm. And then it also brings up that kind of, like, um, Frankenstein trope of, like, um, on the other side of it, too, like, once you do, like, creating life that you're not supposed to create and doing this one thing that's really messed up, though maybe, like, he wanted to bring his brother back and he wanted to do a good thing, but then, like he did that one thing and then just has to like keep doing it because he's like, no, 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 I can't be alone. I need someone else. So it's kind of like this, this chain of like, A, you have to feel guilty about this decision you made. Mm-hmm. And then also you're kind of stuck with it and you have to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like that kid's book, If You Give a Mouse Necromancy. That's <laughs> <laughs> exactly what it is. Uh, and it's not just Frankensteining <laughs> together the perfect woman. It's Frankensteining together the perfect life. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, like he's trying to he's trying to go for that, and you see that his family has sort of like an unhealthy attitude towards it. Well, perfect. I mean, because the mom is just watching old videos, she's almost yeah. trying to recreate an experience instead of moving yeah. forward. Is there even a dad in the? No, there's not. There's not a dad, right? Yeah. So what's the mom doing next Thursday night? She watching get together, watching, watching football. <laughs> That's what she's doing. We should have her on the show. But it, it's so sad because I, there, so. I feel like there there are her. parents though that do just kind of sit in front of the television. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, my parents were never like that, but I remember because I feel like there were times when I was really when I was way younger and I would like go over to a friend's house and they would, like I knew people with parents that would literally just kind of like sit around in front of the TV. Yeah. And that was like. I don't know, like, that was a thing, and you, like, and, like, everyone watches TV, and it's, like, a thing that people do, but I, I feel like there were instances where, like, literally, like, I had friends that had parents that just, like, that's what they did. Mm -hmm. You know a phrase I don't like? Boob tube. Yeah. It's just, like, one of those where, because the thing is, like, people say it. Do they still say it? I don't think Uh, so. I don't think, I think it's, I think we've definitely, like, gotten off it a little bit. But, like, people are, like, anytime people use it, like, when I was a kid, they're, like, watching the boob tube. Here's the thing. If you're using the phrase boob tube, don't talk down on someone else's intelligence. Because, first of all, you didn't come up with that phrase. And, second of all, you sound like a boob saying it. Yeah. So, you can only say it in, like, a celebratory way where it's just like, look, I know it's the boob tube, but I love it. Like, that's where you can use it. But if someone's like, oh, you're going to go and watch the boob tube? It's like, are you going to use silly baby words for the rest of your life, sir? <laughs> that's how I feel about it. <laughs> Did I someone... Think- I think someone, it's but this weird. Is a specific instance, I feel like he obviously has a grudge, but I think it's weird that I feel like <laughs> our, worms in my sandwiches. Our generation gets judged so much for just like sitting in front of our computers and like not paying attention and just spending all this time online and just like binge watching things on our computers. But mm-hmm. I definitely know people from older generations that did the same thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's weird. So it's weird to think about. It's just yeah. a different medium. Like we're still yeah. all doing it, and also we do podcasts and shit, and like. Uh-huh. What are you doing? We're contributing, so sucking up our social welfare. <laughs> there was a uh, interesting internet share that I saw that was it was like someone saying something about like oh yes because like phones are making us antisocial and it was a picture of people like in the twenties on a train and everyone was just holding a Reading newspaper, newspaper. <laughs> yeah just not looking at each other. Uh, um, this is actually the most uh, I believe. I'll have to pull up the, I believe it's NPR quoting another source, but it's, uh, I believe the current generation, the young generation, is the most well-read generation. 
out of any because it's just mm-hmm. easy to access literature so yeah that's true that's cool um perhaps to move on from the heavy a storyline oh, okay um if we may lighten things up a bit this is an episode that really sets the scene for the rest of the season's love arcs uh and this is the one where uh the phrase love makes you do the wacky gets said by willow and I love that phrase. Um, I believe that it's like the Buffy version of, what is it, we are all but fools in love. That's like a Shakespeare quote. Yes. So Sounds like it. We, love Makes You Do the Wacky is the thesis, I feel like, for this entire season. Um, and maybe there's many that could be that way. But this is the first time we're sort of seeing the weakness of Giles and his like kiddish, foolish, even juvenile adolescent behavior about trying to ask out Miss Calendar. Uh, and then also just kind of the Buffy Angel back and forth. They're like, we can't be together, but it's really on the table that we clearly both like each other. Uh, and then, of course, just kind of the fallout of Willow and Xander kind of just being like, where are we? How do we fit into this? Why are we alone? So really, ta- let's run through those really quickly. I want to start with the Buffy Angel. Yeah. Uh, we established in season one they can't really be together. Mm-hmm. And they're is chemistry i hesitate to say romance mm-hmm. i really believe that romance is like a over time sort of thing mm-hmm. and i think that's what we're getting to now but with the knowledge that all the season one stuff that if they get close to each other cross is gonna burn on angel's chest mm-hmm. yeah so that is really interesting and fun to watch mm-hmm. um calendar giles stuff how is he so bad how is he so bad at date like he has to like I think he's just kind of a very lonely person. And I don't think he's necessarily particularly upset by it. I think that Giles has lived a life of isolation. And it's like when he goes home, it's not like he has friends in Sunnydale. His friends are Buffy, Xander, and Willow. I think Giles is just one of those people that doesn't necessarily like... I wouldn't want to say like isolation, like it's a horrible thing. I think he's just one of those people that like enjoy social interaction but doesn't necessarily need it yeah and it's like totally. okay not dating someone and okay not doing this but then he's a grown-ass woman i mean yeah i mean the opportunity arises where he's like oh i actually want to pursue this and so it's very weird for him because he's not one of those people that like is chronically in relationships mm-hmm. um but love makes you do the wacky yeah and there you see him That's do it cute. i love the scene where he fails to ask her out and then she asks him out beat for beat yeah but it makes me feel like she's phoning it in i mean she cares but the fact that she's doing the standard how you ask someone out is like she just talked to someone else at some point and they were like you do this you do this yes because they want to get mexican yeah so it's like i kind of wish that she had customized it a little bit yeah i mean she added she added the football she did add the football and she made it tonight it wasn't like a maybe in the future gay it was like tonight (laughs) It's very much the thing that Chris brought up last episode where everything is, like, laid out very plainly. Like, it's that whole thing. Well, I, like, O'Brien, not Chris. Oh! Where he was, like, O'Brien. He, he was talking about how, like, the whole scene with um, Giles and Snyder, where it's, like, very... More like, writerly than yeah, realistic, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like, in this, they're like, this is how you ask someone out. And then she does the same thing to him. So you're like, oh, haha, ha, this is fun. Oh, I yeah. see. So this is like, they're saying, this is how you appear confident. Yeah. And then he tries it and he can't do it. And then she swoops in and she's like, I'm confident. 
Yeah, and I so but I, I see it I see it as played as a as a comedy beat. Like I no, it is Chris a comedy beat, was, but it's yeah. a very straightforward right. comedy. Totally. Even with a comedy, they're still able to communicate mm-hmm. dynamics and characters. Yeah, and then she also it's the same thing with the with the with the callback to the second date. Oh, you noticed I did that? Where he's like, well, first date. Yeah. A date? Noticed I did that? And she's like, wow, a second date. And he's like, second date? Dad! <laughs> and she's like, what? Oh, God. Also, speaking uh, of age difference, they I didn't realize how big the age difference was until I realized that, I guess, uh, what is it, Chris Carpenter is like a year older than Robia Lamarte. Really? Yeah, we were reading that. It's like, I'm pretty sure they're either like, either... <laughs> Robbie Lamarte is either only one year older than Chris Carpenter, or Chris Carpenter is actually one year older than her. Wow, Chris Carpenter's ageless. No, she is. She is but ageless. Like, I re- like I still can't see it because I very much think of Jenny Calendar as like a teacher, and these uh-huh. are high schoolers, and it was like well casted. Mm-hmm. But then I think about it, I'm like, oh, she's the same age as. But she acts like she's not. Like it's not weird. It's acting. Speaking of Cordelia, um, I think that, and I could be wrong. There's a siren in the background because we're in Los Angeles where crime happens. Um, Or people just get hurt like everywhere because, you know, humans, fragile. So, Charisma Carpenter, Cordelia Chase, double C, both situations. Uh, I feel like Cordy now is starting to become part of the gang. And that that moment of, I think that, is this the second time that Cordy has been directly put into super danger? Because there was Out of Mind, Out of Sight. Yeah. And then I think this is the second time, though, that it's yeah. like she... Well, I guess the master, kind of. Sort of. Oh, yeah, because she was, was captain. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's like Cordy has to kind of realize it's like... Cordy realizes where she fits in in this world, that this is what's going on, and that Buffy is the person to save the day. What I like is that Cordelia should be just like this like ditzy enemy that gets vanquished. But she holds. She's a real person. She is. She holds her own. She's got a philosophy. She sticks to it. Mm-hmm. If she was in Game of Thrones, she would be doing well. Oh yeah. No, Cordy would be heading towards. She's like an right. awesome Cersei. Mm-hmm. Like Cersei, like survives, but Cersei's also just like because I have to. I like Cersei. Mm-hmm. I like. I mean, I don't like Cersei because you know <laughs> she's evil and does horrible things. But I respect her. Yeah. I think I just I like Lena Headey and. Oh, the yeah. character is great. The character is great. But would I like you know vote for Cersei in an election? I don't understand election? what you're saying. I'm saying that I wouldn't vote for Cersei in an election. <laughs> but you don't. It's like you're voting for who you want on the throne. That's not how the show works. Right. But say it would be way less violent. Say you could vote. I wouldn't. You know, I wouldn't be throwing tomatoes like in the fields. Yeah. But I'd be like, oof, that Joffrey was wrong. What if it was, was just wrong. like Veep, but it's Game of Thrones? I don't know. More of a Rick and Veep of guy. Thrones. <laughs> Game of Veep. And that is our first bell, which means it's time to start wrapping up. But before we do, we have an extra curricular activity. What that means is we're going to be making something up on the spot based off this episode. It could be a song. It could be a rap. It could be a local commercial. Whatever Holland Farkas decides, we're going to make it up right now based off of some assembly required. So, Holland, what are we doing this week? Um, I think you guys should come up with a classic Victorian novel that is not Frankenstein, but would fit in with mm. that genre of literature, like like Penny Dreadfuls, um, based off of uh, this episode, but again, not Frankenstein, so good luck with that. So are we pitching it to like a studio? I think you should pitch it to a Ooh. studio. Could it be, um, a, could it be a, a David Blackburn novel? <laughs> we have a character. Dare we have characters. We? Dare we? Should we? Can we do a do wish I don't know what this... 
I don't know what this we'll is. We'll post it. We'll post it on our Facebook. Okay, okay we'll do it. I think we have uh, to. Okay. All right. All right. We um, have uh, Chris and I have characters that are uh, they're both involved in <laughs> adult supernatural literature. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. So here's Prent Stevens and David Blackburn. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The Witching Hour with Krent Stevenson. I am Krent Stevenson, and I am here blessed today, just like the children in the streets, begging for yet another bowl of gruel. Uh, my presence is being graced by one David Blackburn. Hello, David. <laughs> thank you so much for having me here and paying for the parking. Yes, of course. <laughs> I mean, no one, no one should be mistreated like that. Now, David, you have a new novel that is hitting the shelves that is absolutely just terrifying the citizens. <laughs> now, I guess my job's done. I guess I'll go home. <laughs> I can finally rest. <laughs> now, Mary Shelley, more like Mary who the helly is she? I've forgotten <laughs> about her already because your novel has now put her to shame. Now, would you Thank like you. to tell us a little bit about it? Uh, yes. Uh, well, it's, you know... <laughs> I don't know if I have to say this this bit, but in case, I don't know, for your meta information, uh, it's Brains Not Bronze. And it's uh, the story of a young, intrepid writer in a world filled with, uh, 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 I guess you would classify them as um, reanimated, brainless thugs who, who wander around. Uh, they may be muscly on the outside, but they're, they're empty on the inside, both brain and soul. Both brain and soul. Two pieces of the human condition that are always at war with each other, but at the same time, always dancing as one. Now, David, some are calling this for this novels uh, to be pulled from all the shelves. I mean, if you're paying for it, sure. But, uh, if you want to buy them. <laughs> if you want to put my books in a, in a pile and burn them, please, but pay for them first. <laughs> Uh, of course. Yes, but there are some who are actually trying to skip the paying for them altogether and just going right to the book burning. Now, how do you respond to those critics? Um, I, I would say that, you know, uh, it seems like it seems like it bothered you a little too personally that you might, in fact, not be the protagonist of this novel, but, in fact, one of these, as I call them, you know, musclies, just walking around being attractive but really just making the world the worst place for people like myself. Yes, now, I was particularly moved by the one scene in which the muscly, uh, the, the main muscly that we focus on in, in, in the novel is walking through a public park and all of the animals stop and follow him and walk alongside him and he looks to them and all the other humans are afraid and they don't understand why. And then we, you, you never actually really, it, the, the chapter just kind of ends and it never really gets brought back up again. It, was that intentional? No, it was not. The, uh, I sent the wrong file. Oh. Oh, well, you're going to have to buy the, the, uh, the new edition, I suppose. <laughs> now, I see that we have a, a caller, I guess. Is that what this red button is with a caller question? Oh, yeah. Oh, Should, wow. Let's just take it. This, I mean, I'm this, always excited to talk to a fan. Yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, this is the first. I mean, I forgot that I even set that up. Uh, beep. Uh, hello, this is uh, Witching Hour. Is someone calling? Uh, hi, yes. My name is Susan, and I was wondering uh, what you thought the feminist perspective was on having this visa 
brawny, brainless men walking around. Is that is that a comment on uh, males, just the, the male patriarchy uh, kind of overrunning our civilization? Uh, I mean, I know a lot of people want to burn this book, but I would like to get multiple copies from my book club. So could you please comment on that? Susan, I would venture to say it's Sontang. Uh, I, if you're buying it, I'm selling it. I guess that's what I'm saying. I consider myself non-gender. Um, unless I'm hanging out with some high school friends, then I'm you know, definitely a guy. But outside of that situation, you know, uh, I think that a lot of men are jerks. Uh, and a lot of people don't see that, and it's maddening to be the only one who sees that, you know? So thank you. I really appreciate your call. I really appreciate your business. Yeah. Thank you. Susan, are you still there? Uh, yes, yes, yes I am. Were you satisfied by that response? Uh, I, I mean, I'm satisfied as I can be. Um, uh, yes, I, I would be even more satisfied if you would be willing to send me a few copies for my book club. Probably maybe like 20, uh, 25, just so I can give it to the ladies. They're, they're not going to want to buy it. I'm probably going to need to convince them um, because they are just very, very against anything with men in it um but but if you could just send me a few copies i would really appreciate it uh you know maybe one from a cat well i'll I'll say it right now i don't i don't want to take money out of david blackburn's pocket so i will personally buy those novels and i will send them to you susan thank you thank you thank you grant uh but now everyone our uh our time is concluding but let's just say one last goodbye to david blackburn for now before he steps into the fierce eye of the storm that is challenge and circumstance. But you, my friends, you may be walking a line between life and death, but it is one we all walk together. This has been The Witching Hour with Craig Stevenson. I'm Craig Stevenson. Good night. <laughs> and that is our final bell. <laughs> I feel like I was accidentally, like, hella offensive. No. But not. No. I don't think so. I don't think so. We were all in character. We were yeah. all in character. I don't think anything you guys said was worth saying anything I said in the session so far. <laughs> no, everything was, yeah. I think it was pretty tame. Thank you so much for joining us in this session. We talked about episode two, season two. Uh, next week we'll be talking about episode three, School Hard. It's a really big episode. In fact, we accidentally said something about that episode we had to cut out. Uh, mm-hmm. We realized that we had mentioned it. So, mm-hmm. so you won't, you won't yeah. know about it. So you won't know about it, but maybe we'll talk about it next week. We have a really awesome guest next week from Nerdy But Flirty, so please, please tune in. It's going to be a great discussion. And this has just been fun. Thank you guys so much for all your support, all the interaction on Twitter and Facebook. It's been so cool. Before we get to our Sunnydale study group social stuff to talk mm-hmm. about it, because we'd love to meet up with you in Comic-Con if you're there. there you Let's go. talk about our individuals. Chris, where can they find you? Hi, I'm Chris. Uh, Amontiak. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram. I perform with a group called Robot Teammate in the Accidental Party. And then I make uh, little sing- silly song videos on an Animfantastic channel on YouTube. I'm Holland Farkas. You can find me on the internet at Holland Farkas. Most places, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram is Farkland. My website is just Holland Farkas. Um, and on YouTube, I'm youtube.com slash telltellheartxo. And I filmed, I actually filmed an unboxing video that I have to edit and put up. But uh, I'm going to start that again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what about you, Amar? You can always find me at youtube.com slash twobrokegeeks or on Twitter at number two broke geeks. You can always find anything Sunnydale City Group related at 
SSG Podcast on Twitter. Again, it's at SSG Podcast. And then on Facebook, facebook.com slash Sunnydale Study Group. That mm-hmm. one's a little bit more straightforward. Yeah, hit us up at Comic-Con for sure. We'll all be there, so just tweet at SSG. We'll be, you know, running around right. doing this and that. Probably, at, I think I'm just going to live at Petco. I just want to nap there. Holland's going to be asleep the entire time at Petco. <laughs> find me in a corner taking a nap. <laughs> And what I want to ask you is for a homework assignment. This is so leave it on our Facebook, answer it on Twitter, wherever you feel fit. If someone were to watch on loop for the rest of their life a video of you doing anything, what would it be? High school play? Mm. Maybe a cover of a Disney song? Totally up to you. We want to hear your answer. If you had to force someone to watch a videotape of you doing something for the rest of their life, what would it be? Go and leave that on our Facebook or Twitter. Thank you guys again so much. We will see you next week. Until then, pack up your bags, pack up your books. We'll see you then. hilarious when i would like watch commentary of shows like when the like actors were like i think the first time i noticed it was like bones and like david brannis like emily deschanel was like and i'm david brannis you were like oh, <laughs> emily Desch- and emily Desch- and uh david brannis was like and i'm emily deschanel and i was like that's hilarious <laughs> gold <laughs> i think rob bowman and jillian anderson did that once is this all recording yeah it's still recording oh. god damn it yeah